Good to see everyone out tonight. I know we got some people traveling, and we got some visitors. Good to have everyone here on our Thanksgiving Eve. So, look forward to our discussion tonight as we continue our class on the flesh and the spirit. And as you can see tonight, our session is on the spiritual walk that results in fleshly denial. So that's what we're going to be looking at. We're primarily going to be looking at two passages, one from Galatians and one from Ephesians. So we're going to look at the way Paul addressed this situation, this idea, when he wrote those two letters. So I look forward to that tonight with everyone. So let's go ahead and have a prayer and we'll begin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at Galatians and Ephesians. Galatians 5 is where we're going to be starting. And those are going to be our two, two main passages tonight. And if you remember the letter to the churches of Galatia... You know, some of the main things that, that Paul is trying to get across to them in basically making an argument that in Christ, those that have identified with Christ and baptized into his name and are bearing his name have been set free. And, you know, they're being set free from their pagan past. And they've also been set free from the law. And so that is a, you know, a bird's eye view of what is going on in Galatians. And we're going to dig in deeper talking tonight about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And that's, you know, our class, our whole trimester is what we've, we've been talking about, this, this ongoing battle that we all incur uh, daily, this war that goes on. And let's just jump into it. In chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 13, see Paul, Paul starts out here saying, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So again, he's, he's calling to them their freedom. But what is he saying that they're not supposed to use this freedom for or to do? He wants them to get along. Right. He wants them to get along. Is his kind of his overarching view here. Don't use it to gratify the flesh. Yeah, don't don't use this this freedom that you've been given to indulge, to gratify in in the flesh, in your your sinfulness, um, and in those those desires. But instead use this freedom for what? Service. For service. Yes, serve. <clears throat> to serve, right? 
serve one another, and you are doing this in love. So use, use this freedom that you've been given, because the, the freedom is, is such a big thing, and it's such a hard thing for them to comprehend, because what have they been, if you remember, kind of being restrained by, what, what portion of the law was he really trying to fight? That they were kind of going to war against each other with and having all these battles. Circumcision? Yeah, circumcision. So they're, you know, he's saying, you've been, you've been set free. Christ has set you free from that. So use this freedom and serve, serve each other in love. And he goes back to, as he puts it, that it's all fulfilled in this one command to love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you don't, if they didn't use their freedom, if we don't use our freedom to serve each other with love, what, what is going to happen? How does he end this little section here? To destroy each other. Yeah, it ends in destruction. Just a, a very scary thing. If if we use the freedom that we've been given to satisfy our own fleshly desires, well, we all have different motives when it comes to that. And that's a scary thing that will end in absolute destruction. So, moving on, he gets more into the, this idea, this conflict, this war between the spirit and the flesh. He continues and says, so I, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are, under, you are not under the law. So again, we, we've talked a lot about this in our, our class so far, this, this ongoing war, conflict, as he puts it, between, between the flesh and the spirit. And you know, I think it's, it's so vital for us to admit that this you know, is going on, that, that this war is, is, is happening, it's, it's a daily thing. And, you know, to be honest with, with ourselves, again, we all battle with, with different things. Different sinful desires, evil desires that, um, uh, of the flesh that, as he puts it, are contrary to the spirit. So, you know, if, if we are led by the spirit... As he puts it there, you know, if we're led by the Spirit, if we're empowered by the Spirit, then, then we are not under the law. And there, you know, therefore, we are not, as he says, um, as Paul writes in Romans, which I want to show, I just pulled out, out of chapter 6 here. He uses similar language here. For he says, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So, if we are being empowered by the Spirit, 
we're walking with the Spirit, we're connected to God through the Spirit, sin is no longer our master. We are not under that anymore. But as he puts it here in Romans, we are under grace, under the, the law of grace, which is, is so extremely powerful. Um, and I can't remember when Lawrence uh, preached this lesson. I think it's been a couple of years. But his, his basic point of this lesson, he used Romans 6 here as, as his focal point, just talking about sin is not my master. As Paul puts this. And I just remember him saying that over and over in that lesson. When we are, when we are tempted, you know, Lawrence was saying, use the words of Paul. You know, say, sin, you are not my master. Again, we, we have to be honest with ourselves, honest with God. Talk to God, you know, about our fleshly desires. What is trying to take us away from this spiritual connection? But continue to say, that's not my master. Sin is not going to be my master. And that um, is something really powerful from that lesson. And I, I, I tried to find when, when that was. I'll still try to look that one up. I had no luck so far. But uh, if, if I do, I'll, I'll let you all know. Because I thought it's such a, such a great lesson. Such a simple concept. But again, that's what Paul is trying to get across to the Romans trying to get across in his letter to the Galatians, that this is, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can be, you can, you know, put yourself over to your own fleshly desires, or you can be connected to God through the Spirit, through your relationship with, with Jesus. And, and again, he'll go through what each one looks like. And what it looks like when we, when we do deny the flesh and connect ourselves to the Spirit. Yeah, Jesse. Just a quick question yeah. in verse uh, 17 where it talks about the Spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. And it says to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Can you talk a little bit more about maybe what that is referring to? Yeah, that is a... Um, an interesting, I guess, wording that he puts there that I think he's trying to, in my opinion, he's, he's speaking to the true conflict. That there is, again, it's almost like this, if we let it, an equal pull from the fleshly side, the sinful side. Um, and sometimes, maybe, he's trying to imply that you might feel like you not not know what you're doing because you're being pulled so strong that way and maybe that you're trying to live by the spirit you know he talks about this a lot in some of his other letters too so it's um i don't know if that's a great answer if anybody else has any other things but i do think it's a constant um, struggle and battle and i guess that's why i'm trying to get across that we need to admit that and admit maybe our shortcomings or definitely our shortcomings when it comes to you know this battle and how much we need to deny those things and take on the, as he's going to say here in a little bit, the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if it was like the things you want to do are the things of the flesh because 
yeah. your fleshly, but as as a Christian, you're to walk by the Spirit, and so therefore those things that maybe in flesh you want to do as a Spirit, you won't do. Yeah, I can I can see it that way too. I mean, it's any other thoughts? Very Romans seven. I mean, it's just it's the same language, you mm-hmm. know. So I think Paul had this on his mind a lot, like yes. just that constant tug, which is interesting because. You know, it's probably even to a greater degree in some ways for Paul because he was brought up to be such a strict follower of mm-hmm. law. Um, and so appealing to that fleshly side of him that wanted to follow the law yeah. was probably a big tug. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think he, therefore, is the, the expert when it comes to, to talking about this and that. And as he puts it in, in Romans, that he just felt, as he said, a wretched man. You know, that that's how he felt with this war, this conflict going on. Um, and then the way he describes how we come out of this and identify <clears throat> ourselves on the spirit is a beautiful thing. Yeah, Jeff. How do we, how do we uh, differentiate between things we can enjoy in the flesh and things we shouldn't enjoy. Is there a clear-cut line? You know, I think about the marriage relationship. Only in the marriage relationship can we gratify one another's sexual desires. That's a a desire of the flesh. So, how do we differentiate between what is good in the flesh and what is bad in the flesh? I think that's a good question. He does, in the next few verses here, you know, touches on that. He'll say, he'll say these works of the flesh are obvious. I don't think it's all-encompassing, and I think we are left to you know, decide. Well, sin is very deceiving. Sure. Because um, a lot of sinful things are a lot of fun. And, that you know, the devil tries to trick you that way. And yes, and I think in the, the problem is, is in the short term, it's fun. It has lasting consequences, can. And sometimes it doesn't. You know, so you're, um, again, that's why they're temptations. Um, well, if your but, heart's not seared, then it yeah. has major consequences. Exactly, exactly. So let's look at some of the things he says are obvious when it comes to acts of the flesh. Here, verses uh, let's see, 19 and continuing. So he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, you know, he's saying, when it comes to these, there's, there's no questions. You know, they're, they're obvious. You know, we might look at it and say, oh, well, some of those are, are big, and then some of them, 
you know, when it comes to jealousy or selfish ambition, you know, some of those we might think, oh, those are just little, little sins. But I don't see any, you know, differentiation that he makes here between any of these. Um, and Except when he talks about sexual immorality, we know what that is. Yes. That's outside of marriage. Yes, exactly. So, and again, we put ourselves 2,000 years ago, and the Greco-Roman culture was, you know, yes, it's, it's, it's bad now when it comes to sexual immorality, things like that. It was a whole lot worse, you know, back then. Um, and that's not to excuse any type of behavior, but I'm trying to just get ourselves thinking historical context here, what they were having to, what they were being tempted by, what they were being exposed to on a daily occurrence, um, as opposed to us, we again, we have to look at ourselves, our situation, the things that we come in contact with, the things that we know are temptations to us or are faults to us. Do we have times where we are guilty of, you know, severe tempers, fits of rage, being jealous, putting our ambition before anything else and everyone else. I mean, these are, I think, you know, things that we obviously have to constantly be guarding against and constantly avoiding these vices and then putting on the fruits that he's going to talk about, putting on these virtues um, to help us in, in this war that is a continual war. What other thoughts do you all have on the uh, acts of the flesh? When I, was, when I was working, one of the worst places was the workplace, you know, okay. for drink, being involved in this type of stuff because so many people are jealous of their other workers, you know, somebody gets ahead of them. And mm. It's just, you gotta be on your guard all the time. Yeah, that's a good point. Just oh, I was just gonna say, there's tenfold that many lists that, you know, we have to remember that that's not all of them. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah but they're... Definitely. Um, you know, thinking about how these things, and not to get ahead, but the, yeah. the fruit of the Spirit coming up. You know, this is not a random list. What do these things have in common? Why are these all things that are works of the flesh? And when I look at that and, and looking at the fruits of, comparing them with the fruits of the Spirit, the works of the flesh are an empty person that's grasping at things to try and fill themselves up, is what I see. The fruit of the Spirit is a person that's full and it, that fullness is overflowing to everyone that's around him. Very good. Yeah, as, as you'll see when we look at the fruits, it, again, it's, it is this overflowing, as David put it so well, and having to do with most of them with our relationship with each other, with our fellow man, and how those fruits are overflowing into other people's lives and affecting them for the good. So let's, let's jump into those, picking up in, in verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So what it, jumping into the middle of this, what is he saying we need to do? What is the, the first thing we need to do with the acts of the flesh? How are we supposed to, what's our first step? And we're, we're trying to de deny the flesh. What does he say? Self-control. Self-control is definitely part of it. Something very graphic that links us to Jesus. Crucify. Yeah. We, we, we crucify these things. We, we take the, our fleshly desires. You know, the, the things that, again, I love how David put that, that, you know, we grasp to, to fill ourselves. You know, we can, we can spend a whole life, and I know you all, we all know people that have done that, and we see people in history and that have, have just grasped and grasped and grasped and stepped all over people, killed other people, millions of people. I mean, you, you look, and you look even at, not even like famous people in history, you look at just other people that, again, you just, you see this grasping, and they're never fulfilled, they're never filled up. And that's what it, you know, Paul is, is calling us as Christians to do is to take those things that we are or have been grasping, maybe still are, and to, and to crucify them. And again, this is part of our identification with Christ. And again, it's such a, a powerful thing that, that we are crucifying those things and and by doing that we're letting the spirit empower us and if the spirit is empowering us we bear its fruit and when we look you know at the fruit of the spirit it's a it's a beautiful beautiful list here when you, when you first look and you glance at it, I know most of us have read this you know, multiple times in our lives. What, what, just, what comes to mind first when you all read these and see these? Well, the one that's most important is right on top. Yes. It's love. Love. You have love, you don't have room for the other stuff. That's true. <laughs> All these things are so magnetic. Like, mm -hmm. if there's somebody who exudes these things, you just want to be around them. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's part of the point. Yeah, definitely. They all come from your heart, too. Yes. If your heart is right, this is what's going to be expressed from your heart. Brandon? Yes. I think there's a lot being said when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, we can try and do these things 
without the Spirit, and we're going to fail. But when we have the Spirit in us, they're a byproduct mm-hmm. of the Spirit being in us. And that's a very different... It can look the same on the outside sometimes, but it's going to be sustained and real when the Spirit's in us, and that's a byproduct rather than I'm just trying to do these things on my own. I'm trying to be patient. I'm trying to be faithful. Right. You know, but there's no substance to that. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. What What is your motivation? It can be a hollow, empty, you know, motivation. But as, as we've talked about so much in this class, if we are trying to improve our connection, our spiritual connection with God through the Spirit, then this is what, this is the type of fruit that will be buried. Thank you. Did you have something Yeah, uh, just real quick, um, to add on to that point, um, you know, fruit of the Spirit, kind of like, what is fruit? Well, it's, it's what is born, right? It's produce. So you can even say, like, the production of the Spirit or the result of the Spirit, kind of, you know, we don't do these things on our own. Mm-hmm. As we're looking at Jesus, who's our ultimate example, and all this stuff can be found, you know, in his life as the ultimate example of all of these. This is, you know, almost comes naturally, not that it's always going to be easy, but these are things that people will see in your life as a result of being guided by the Spirit. It's kind of interesting that he says, against there, these things there is no law. He might be kind of being sarcastic, like, of course there's not a law in any of these but then again jesus says like the greatest command right is to love the lord your god with all your might so in a way there is something greater than a law we have instructions to do these things so by not following laws we're following the greatest one in a way sort of a paradox randy we're to be connected to the vine Mm -hmm. And a natural, natural confluence, uh, like David has said, of being connected to vine, are these things. But isn't it interesting? We have to work on all these things. Yeah. We have to develop those things. Right. <laughs> I mean, it should come naturally. And if we love the Lord like <clears throat> He wants us to, it will come naturally. Mm-hmm. But it's still something we have to work on. That's... Uh, yeah, it has to be, we're, yeah, it is a paradox. <laughs> we are the, the vine, but we're also having to cultivate mm-hmm. ourselves. And again, it, I think... Maybe we should say allow the Lord to cultivate. Yeah, so I was going to say that too. <laughs> so that, again, is part of the paradox too. We, yeah. we do our little part. <laughs> yeah. He's doing a much larger part, but it's... It's working together <coughs> so that that fruit can be born. He's cutting and trimming. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I don't like that. None of us do. But this is the result. Definitely. Definitely. Randy, <coughs> Kyle and I were having this conversation just a short while back. And I'm reminded of uh, Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. And then in the very next verse, he says why. He says, for it is of God both to will and to work. Amen. To his good pleasure. So you have both aspects of the paradox encapsulated right there. You have us, Mm -hmm. whose job it is to work out our own salvation, but the will and the work both come from, are both gifts from God. So 
How does that work? Well, and that's why we had that whole class on tensions and paradoxes in the Bible a couple of trimesters right. ago. Yeah. It's not something that we're ever supposed to completely work out for ourselves. I mean, Saul, it's not a puzzle that just has a solution, but we just have to know that there are two aspects to this. Yeah. And when you focus too much on one or the other at the neglect of the other, something important gets left out. Yeah. I, I grew up hearing the first of those two verses my whole life. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. And I never heard the second verse. For it is of God both to will and to work. Now, I never heard that before. So there is a tendency, I think, in our groups to put too much emphasis on the us and not enough emphasis on God, which is just as much a mistake. We, I think we even have a, a fear of putting any emphasis on God and letting ourselves off the hook. Right. Um, but if you, if you think that way, uh, you're probably a nervous wreck. <laughs> Very true. But that's where the spirit enters. I, that's a great point. That's where the, the spirit enters. And he must, we must allow him to enter mm -hmm. and to work in our lives. But, you know, I, like Darrell, I was raised, you don't think about God doing things, something for you. You don't think that way. You don't. That's you do it yourself, and that's that's where we fail. We're not up to that, are we? No, not at all. And you know, I was thinking back to Jared's lesson on Sunday when I was looking at, at the fruit of the spirit. You know, when it's done right, the world is changed. You know, and he, he used the example, he was talking about generosity and going back to, you know, the first century Roman culture. I mean, that charity, generosity were not parts of their culture. It was, it was deemed that as long as they were going to get back whatever they had given, right? But the Christians back then just started giving or taking care of orphans, looking for nothing in return. And if that is not, you know, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, I don't know, you know, what is. And that changed the world. And we continue, we can continue to change the world. And Christians have for 2,000 years, if it's, if it's done right, if we are bearing this fruit in our I just always thought it was interesting the way it's worded. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are these things. It says the fruit of the Spirit is this. If you're in the Spirit, this is the whole of it that comes out of you. Yeah. It's not something that we label one one one. Right, it's all together. It all comes together. Very good. The picture that's being painted for us here is the character of Christ, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and there are so many of these snapshots that are presented to us throughout the scriptures. James 3, 17, 18 is one, the wisdom which is com comes down from above is first peaceable and so on and so on. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, you know, the ways that we're supposed to reach the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace is through gentleness and humbleness and kindness and those sorts of things. So there are all these different snapshots, but they're all really a picture of the same thing. It's the, the, the picture of the character of Christ, and it's the very character that we're supposed to grow into. Not that, that we'll ever be Jesus, but that we'll be 
more like him when we develop these characteristics. So I did have, um, you know, we don't have a ton of time to go into each one of these, not that I, I wanted to, but I did have a couple of, of points, especially looking at love or uh, the Greek word agape. Uh, and I found, I ran across this interesting quote here from William Barclay, and I like the way he defines agape. He says it is unconquerable benevolence, undefeatable goodwill. Agape is a spirit in the heart which will never seek anything but the highest good of its fellow men. It does not matter how its fellow men treat it. It does not matter what their attitude is to it. It will never seek anything but their highest and their best good. So again, this this idea of such a foreign idea back then of looking for the best in your fellow man and doing the best for them and not for something in return but just again this outpouring of the spirit in you so i thought that was a a really beautiful definition um and, you know, going back just real quick, I, I found some just interesting facts. You know, Paul mentions love over 60 times in his letters. He uses joy 60 times. Or no, joy is used 60 times in the whole New Testament. Um, peace is used 88 times. And peace is actually used in every book or letter in the New Testament. So you get this, this idea, as you, as you read the Gospels, the letters that make up the New Testament, these, as Darrell was saying, they continue to be shown, personified, or explained. And they keep coming up. And these are to make us more like Christ. And as we are making ourselves, making, attempting that, not that we'll ever reach it, but as we're attempting that, we are bearing this fruit along the way. Um, something just interesting that I read, too, from, uh, from Tom, Tom Wright. He, he made the comparison, which I thought since Christmas is around the corner, was really interesting, that he's talking about acts of, the, acts of the flesh being a Christmas tree versus fruit of the Spirit being a, a fruit tree. And I, you know, I first read that, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. He goes on, he goes on to describe, Christmas tree is, is beautiful, and it's got the twinkling lights, the pretty ornaments. But what is underneath that, all of those ornaments and lights? It's either a dead tree or a fake tree, right? Yeah, prickly, you know. So in a month, it's either hauled back up into the attic, or it's thrown out, it's burned up, right? Um, and I thought it was really interesting. And then, the fruits of the Spirit, you look at a fruit tree, at, you know, at glance, a fruit tree might be attractive, might not be. You know, fruit trees are doing the grunt work. But if they're cultivated, if they're taken care of, and they're nourished, and they're watered, what is that fruit tree going to do? It's just going to continue and continue to produce. 
and it's going to be a source for people, endless people to come. And I, I thought that was a really good analogy. Yes, Dave. To follow up on your point, yeah. recall the fig tree that Jesus cursed. Mm -hmm. It looked beautiful. Yeah. Looked great. He was expecting fruit. Right. It had none. For some reason, either it had not been cultivated or it refused. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but he cursed it. Yeah. Very so good. if this fruit is not a part of our lives, we might look good. Right. Very true, very true. Any other thoughts or points? We've got a few minutes. I did want to touch on the other passage that I wanted to look at out of Ephesians chapter 4. And I apologize, we'll have to kind of rush through this. But, you know... <clears throat> Paul is, is writing about this, this contrast, this war, this denying ourselves, or, you know, kind of a self-denial of the flesh, what we're looking at tonight. And he doesn't really use the terminology like he did in Galatians, what we just looked at, of using the flesh and the spirit. He uses a little bit different language, but is getting across the same point. So let's read through this uh, quickly. He says here, uh, this is 4.17 of Ephesians. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, and separated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." That, however, is not the way of life you learn when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You are taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." So, you know, his description, going back here, of where, where the pe people that are giving themselves over to the flesh, what kind of condition, you know, do they find themselves in? Or how do they get into that condition? You can see this, this idea that he talks about of them hardening their hearts. And this is causing them to have their understanding darkened. And the scariest thing, it, all, it causes a separation from the life of God. So by choosing this, they are cutting themselves off from living in communion with God. And in what this results in is, as he puts, every kind of impurity, giving themselves over to the sensuality, greediness. But he says, if you are identified with Christ, if you've been taught in Christ, you've put on Christ, how are we supposed to live? Well, we're supposed to have a, a new self. We're supposed to be made new, as he says here. 
he's trying to tell them, you know, this, this is not you because you have identified yourselves with Christ. Um, it's really interesting what he says here, highlighted here, where he says to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So where it all begins, you know, is inside myself, inside each one of you, of, of every human, that that renewal inside inside our minds, identifying ourselves with Christ, putting putting off the old self, denying the flesh, the old self, and then renewing attitudes of our mind. And what it causes, which is amazing, is to be what he says, when we put on the new self, that we're created to be like God. So again, it, it brings us back to this idea of this spiritual connection that we're all striving for. And hopefully, it has helped me a lot this class to just talk about these things, look at what the Word says about these things, what God is getting across to us. And the results are endless. If, we're, if we cre are created, as we put on this new self, created to be like God, then again, you know, our, our potential, we might not see the, you know, the outcomes of the things we do, but our, our potential is limitless. And I think if we believe that, if we live that, then again, the world continues to be changed. Just as Jesus it's because of him it continues to be changed, but through through his people bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, Jay. Notice that he does not say, and don't misunderstand me, he does not say, be more obedient. There's a renewal of the mind, of the Spirit, that must take place. Right. Obedience is a part of that. But if I'm not allowing his spirit to really control me and be in me, obedience doesn't do anything. Very true. Thank you all. Appreciate your comments.